welcome you to another edition of Sports with Hood. Coming up in this edition, could this be the end of the line? Bill Belichick, Patriots are one in five, money on the bands. Look at what's wrong with the team in The Pac-12 will not go quietly. You got more. crazy thing to say this week, I guess, because I didn't write it up. I'm your man, KJ Green. Welcome you back to the Hoodwood, and let's just get right into it. Uh, last week in the NFL, another crazy week, and I'm not getting the picks. That's going to be in a little bit, but I noticed something, and, it, and, it, and it's a strange occurrence because I can remember when this team was bad, when they weren't the dominant team and, you know, always winning 11 and 12 games every year. Of course, it maybe has something to do with some guy named Brady, possibly. But the New England Patriots are bad. They're really bad. And I was looking at some, some film about them, and they're 1-5, and you don't see anything really resembling anything of a renaissance on their on their radar. They went 8-9 last year, missed the playoffs for the second time in three years. But you thought, okay, Bill Belichick is a type of coach. He's going to reload. He's going to recalibrate. And things are going to be, be better. Picking up Ezekiel Elliott from the Cowboys looked like a, like a slick move. You know, the Patriots have always been that type of team that have gotten the players... And made things happen. But it's looking more and more increasingly like it was some guy named Brady who basically was the glue that held everything together. The Patriots this year are bad. One in five, and their one win, a 15-10 week three win against the, the Jets in Gotham, looks more and more like a freaky outlier than a real win. And they lost their first two games. And then granted, it was against the Eagles and the Dolphins, two of the top teams in the NFL. No one expected them to win those games. But to lose to the Cowboys the way they did, just an awful 38-3 beating. Then to come home and get shut out by the Saints. A Bill Belichick coach team just doesn't look that pathetic. 
pathetic. And they're looking like they have no clue. Mac Jones has regressed badly. And to watch him play and watch the Patriots offense just flounder. They have scored a grand total of three touchdowns in the past four games. Three. Mac Jones has one passing touchdown, and Ramondre Stevenson and Ezekiel Elliott have a rushing touchdown each. The Pats have scored 72 points total. <laughs> they give up 72 points in two weeks to the Cowboys and the Saints back-to-back. It's, it's, it's a sad state of affairs in, in, in Foxborough. You don't really expect a Bill Belichick coach team to be that bad. I mean, when only, your only team that you're better that than is the New York Giants in scoring, make it make sense. And the problem is this. There's nothing on the horizon that's, that's, that's a portent of positive things to come. Their offense is, is weak. Their passing game is putrid. Their running game, Ezekiel Elliott, has been a massive bust. Their defense keeps getting pushed around. And you're looking around and asking, has the game passed Bill Belichick by? He's not making the adjustments. He's not making the in-game and game-to-game -game adjustments that look like it's going to right the ship. And the and the, 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 the forecast isn't getting any better, people. If you're a Patriots fan, you've grown spoiled. Over the last 20, 25 years, I say go all the way back, just even going back to the Parcells era, when they went to the Super Bowl in 96, they kind of fell off a little bit under Pete Carroll. But they were decent. And when Bill Belichick got there in 2000, and they had back-to-back -back losing seasons in, in 99 and 2000, but they got better. And they got increasingly better. They won a Super Bowl after 2001 and have been one of the most consistently winning teams over the past 20 years. Now, of course, a lot of people, as I said before, attribute that to that guy named Brady. And he was a big cause of that. It was a big reason why that team was so good for so long. After he left, went to Tampa Bay, they kind of fell off a little bit, going 10-7 and seven and 8-9. and nine. But you didn't expect them to fall off this far and be this bad. And looking at the schedule, cuz. It's not going to get any better if you're a Patriots fan. I mean, you've got the Bills coming up this week. Good luck. You've got the Dolphins in South Beach. Good luck. They, I mean, the Commanders, possibly. But they're at least showing, they, they at least can score. The Patriots have a problem scoring. Then you have the Colts in Frankfurt. A bye week. And then the Giants in Gotham. The, the, the schedule ain't getting no easier. And you're going to see them, and they've got, you're going to see this team in prime time quite a bit down the stretch. A Thursday night game, a Monday night game, a prime time game the, uh, on Christmas Eve. They're, they play 
four, three straight primetime games in December, and they can't get flexed out of them. These aren't games that you can flex them. It's going to be a sad situation in Foxborough, and it's not going to get any better. Now we're going to get back into the NFL, uh, some more uh, looks at teams in the NFL, as well as the Week 7 picks here in a little bit. But let's shift gears and go to college football for the moment. And I was looking over the numbers, and I was really surprised. The Pac-12, whose demise is already on the horizon, you know, teams are going to, you have four teams are headed to the Big Ten, four teams headed to the Big Twelve, you know, it's basically the, the, the a couple teams going to the, don't, I'm not even getting into teams going to the ACC. We're not even going to talk about that. But you have the Pac-12 in its penultimate season. They are not going quietly. This is a conference that is loaded. And you wonder, did they pull the plug on it too soon? Did these teams jump out too quickly? I mean, USC and UCLA, the LA-based teams, of course, running to the Big Ten, they're looking for the big money markets. And with Oregon and Washington joining them, you know, those are probably the four most powerhouse teams in the big in the Pac-12. Then you have Arizona, Utah, Arizona State, and Colorado jumping to the Big 12. Decent teams. And of course, uh, Cal and Stanford now jumping to the ACC, leaving Oregon State and Washington State to fend for themselves. We've already detailed the breakups of, of the conference, and I'm not going to go into details of who, what's, and where's, and why's, and again. But if you're looking at the, at the standings of the Pac-12, there are six teams right now in the top 25 that are in the Pac-12. Six. That's more than, that's the equal to the SEC, who have six teams as well, and that is more than the Big Ten, who have four. More than the Big 12, who have two. More than the ACC, who have four. Six teams from the Pac-12 are ranked. USC, USC, Washington, Oregon State, Oregon, Utah, and UCLA. And that's going pretty much in order of the standings right now. Not necessarily the number, the ranking or anything, but Washington heads the pack at, at, at fifth rank. And then you have Oregon at nine, Oregon State at 12, Utah at 14, USC at 18, and UCLA at 25. But the depth of this conference, and we're not even getting into Colorado. Washington State's a decent team in its own right. But, you know, the media's all looking at Colorado and what's going on in Boulder. The Pac-12, from top to bottom, is looking like one of the best one of the best conferences in the country. And I know SEC Hawks are going, oh, SEC is the best conference. I didn't say they were the best. I said they were one of the best. The depth of teams from top to bottom are all good. And there are no pushovers in this conference. 
as Colorado, who blew a 29 to nothing lead to Stanford. Sounds like a head slap, possibly. But look at the, the, the great game between Washington and Oregon. Right down to the wire in Seattle. That was a fun, fun game to watch. And Pac-12 After Dark still is providing some of the best football that you're probably not watching. If you're up late on Saturday night, those are games that are must-see TV. But the media doesn't want to talk about that. Deion Sanders complains about 8 p.m. starts. 8 p.m. is prime time. It may not be prime time in the East, but it's still a decent time to play football. Play it under the lights. The Pac-12 is good. Very good. And you're probably not watching it. And with the team, with the conference breaking up come uh, end of the year, this is a swan song. Could it be possible that you might see more than one Pac-12 team in the college playoff? Now, you know, you know the Pac-12 is wishing, damn, that we could have just held out just long enough for it to be at 12-team uh, playoff. We could qualify more than one team in that. Like I said, the Pac-12 is worth watching, and you should check it out. Let's take a time out, come back, and we'll look at why the Eagles and the 49ers took losses. Sports from the Hoodwood comes back at you after this. Is today your last day on Earth because you are being deployed to space tomorrow? Have you just turned 18 and you're ready to get out of your parents' house? Has your granddaughter gotten her boyfriend pregnant? Whatever your reason. You need us at gottagetmarriednow.com. We specialize in last-minute weddings. Active duty, military veterans and retired discounts are available. Visit us at gottagetmarriednow.com. NFL, and every time I think something's going to make sense, it goes the opposite way. The 49ers, fresh off of an absolute evisceration of the Cowboys, go to Cleveland, take on the Browns. The Browns don't have Deshaun Watson. Now, their defense, their defense is good. I will give them that. But the 49ers should have been able to ease their way to a win over the Browns. Somebody never gave the Browns the memo because they hung tough with the 49ers pretty much the entire game. But it seemed like the Niners were going to be able to get away with the win. They took the, Even though they lost Christian McCaffrey, even though they lost Debo Samuel, they still were able to grind out what looked like it was going to be an ugly win in Cleveland. Road wins are always ugly. 
they always seem like they're they're a grind, especially with a West Coast team playing an early game, which is usually a bad portent. Most of the time, not. But I took the Niners playing on the in in the 1 p.m. Uh, Eastern time slot. I figured it would be a good uh, a good pickup. Well, with the Niners struggling to get their offense moving, but they had a 17-13 lead early in the fourth quarter after Jordan Mason scored. And yet they looked like they were going to pull this one out. The, the Browns got close to 17-16 and looked like they were going to have a, eh, good job, Browns, close but no cigar. I mean, they're the Browns for crying out loud. They don't rally for wins. Well, the Niners didn't have a closing kick in them. The Browns did and hit a 29-yard field goal to take the lead with 140 to play. The game had seen everything but an ending, and the Niners came right back down the field. Problem, they didn't finish the job. Missing a field goal at the at the gun to secure Browns 1917 win. Now you figured the Browns. Decent team, they're up and down, they're all over the place. They're, they're a team that you just, you can't put your finger on. One week they're looking dominant, the way they dominated the Bengals. Then they then they boo-boo the bed against the Steelers. And then the next week they're playing dominant against the Titans. And then they, they, they play absolutely flat the next week. Then they jump up and beat, and beat the Niners. Make it make sense. Now, many people are starting to knock Brock Purdy, saying without the tools and the talent of Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel, that he's a system quarterback and is going to get exposed. Will this portend for bad, uh, a bad future for the 49ers? If McCaffrey is not at full strength, it may be. That dominant running game is what fuels the Niners. Now, that was the 1 o'clock game. The 4 o'clock game that made no sense was the Eagles and the Jets. The Eagles had never lost to the Jets, ever. 12 games since the, 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 the AFL-NFL merger, 12 times the Eagles had beaten the Jets. The Jets had never, ever beaten the Eagles. And the way the game looked, you figured the Eagles were going to steamroll the Jets again. You don't trust Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson cannot play a coherent offense. But there was a small problem. The Eagles could not put the Jets away. They took the lead early and was leading 14-9 at the half. And many people thought this should have been a blowout. The Jets' defense makes games ugly. They turn them into grinders and make teams have to hang around. And the Jets were playing at least competent ball. But it was still the, the Eagles game to lose. They had the ball and the lead in the fourth quarter, deep into the fourth quarter. They hit the two-minute warning up two with the ball. And the Jets were fast running out of timeouts and options. Why did Jalen Hurts throw a pass on third down? It made no sense. Trying to sneak uh, fit a pass into Goddard. It gets intercepted at midfield and run back 45 yards. 
The Jets were in business at the Philadelphia 8. And even though I knocked the Jets' offense as being lackluster and incompetent, you give a team like that the keys to the, to the end zone, and they're going to punch it in, unless they're the New York Giants. But that's not in material now. The Jets took one play to punch it into the end zone and convert a two-point conversion, stealing the game 20-14. to 14. Snuffy has made the point. Do the 72 Dolphins toast the, the Browns and the Jets with a 72 split of champagne? Once again, another season goes by and no team hit, runs the table undefeated. The earliest since 2017 that there are no undefeated teams left in the, on the NFL docket. Now, there are still a couple winless teams. Carolina, I'm looking at you, but... The Eagles and the Niners go down within three hours of one another. And champagne toasts are being raised in South Florida as another season goes by the board without an undefeated team. Are the Aces in trouble? Seriously, though, are the Aces in trouble? Snuffy last week said that he had picked Aces in five. And after the first two games, which the Aces thoroughly dominated the New York Liberty, his prediction looked kind of hollow. But the Liberty took game three in Brooklyn, 87-73, and the Aces are now in trouble without Chelsea Gray or Kia Stokes, who suffered foot injuries and are motoring around the Barclays Center in Brooklyn on crutches and a scooter, respectively. Are the Aces in trouble? The Liberty got back to that kind of grimy, uh, uh, gritty type of game that got them 32 wins in the WNBA season. Are the Aces in trouble? Aja Wilson cannot carry this team by herself, though she has it at, in, at for, for frequent bursts. But you wonder, without Gray and Stokes, can the Liberty rally around to win game four on Wednesday night and then possible game five, which will be back in Vegas, on Friday night? Are the Aces in trouble? No team has ever come down, come back from an 0-2 deficit to win the WNBA Finals. And only the Connecticut Sun went to a fourth game. Are the Aces in trouble? Hmm to ponder. But my money is still on the Aces winning the title. I might have to go with my man Snuffy here and go five games where you see that the New York Liberty would be able to hold home court, home serve, and force a game five back in Vegas Friday night. That being said, if this series does come down to a fifth game, it's like a seventh game in any other series. All bets are off. When you have one game for the title, you never know what's going to happen. My money is still on the Aces, coming up Aces, but the Liberty are not going quietly. And that's what's making this WNBA Finals that much more fascinating. Let's take another time out. Come back with the NFL Week 7 picks. Alright, last week, try to uh, improve on my numbers. Sports from the Hoodwood comes back at you after this. 
I'm actor Rajim A. Gross. Some of the studios would like to scan our images and only pay us for one day's worth of work and be able to use our likenesses, our voices, our mannerisms as computer-generated characters, not only in the movie that we might be filming in, but in all future films as well. That's not fair. And I thank the SAG board members that are fighting for my rights as an actor to work on a union film. So I just want to say, standing in complete solidarity with everyone, thank you. tuned in to sports from the hoodwood the internet's foremost location for opinion analysis and insight on the world of sports here now is the man banned from sports trivia contests in 38 states and four canadian provinces and not to mention guam your host kj green you're back in the hoodwood my name is kj green let's get into the week seven nfl picks last week eh, i did all right uh nine wins it was one of those weeks where you kind of saw some of the upsets coming and some of the losses were kind of, no one saw the Niners and the Eagles losing, at least of all me, and both of them were losses. But I was decent enough to get the lock and Thursday night game, the upset. Upset has just been a disaster the whole doggone year. So presented for your perusal, approval, and review are the Week 7 NFL Picks with the lines being provided by ESPN for entertainment comparison purposes only. If you bet the lines and lose, that's on you. Don't call me. I'm broke. I have no money to spare you. And, of course, all times are listed in Eastern Daylight Time. And check your local listings for the times and games in your area. You can also consult 506 Sports. They have an excellent coverage map of the games being shown across the country, both the early and late games. Let's get started. With the early games, the 1 o'clock games on Sunday, October 22nd, this is a CBS doubleheader weekend. <clears throat> First of the docket, we have the 3-2 Browns taking on the 3-3 Colts at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. 1 p.m. kickoff on CBS. The Browns are two-point favorites. Last week, the Browns defeated the 49ers. 40... Try it again. Last week, the Browns defeated the 49ers in 1917, while the Colts lost to the Jaguars 37-20. Fast fact here, the Browns have allowed the fewest total yards, fewest passing yards, fewest points, and fewest first downs in the NFL. The Browns shocked the world as they played a gritty, grimy game to take down the 49ers, handing them their first loss. They, hand, they head to Indianapolis to take on a Colts team who looked pretty much discombobulated against the Jaguars. Gardner Minshew is the Colts quarterback for the foreseeable future since Anthony Richardson may be going on the IR. 
For the Browns, no one knows who's going to be the quarterback. Is it going to be Deshaun Watson? Is it going to be P.J. Walker? No one knows. But everybody knows that Browns defense is hella tough. And I think that Minshew will have a very tough sledding against the, this tough defense. And I think the Browns can eke out just enough offense to grind out a win. The pick is Cleveland. Next on the docket, we have the 3-3 three three Raiders taking on the 1-5 Bears at Soldier Field in Chicago. 1 p.m. kickoff on Fox. The Raiders are three-point favorites. Last week, the Raiders defeated the Patriots 23-17, while the Bears lost to the Vikings 19-13. The Bears are a mess. What else is new? And the Bears are now in search of a quarterback. Tyson Baggett. Oh, Tyson Badgett? Who is that? He's a starter for the Bears. He's taking over for Justin Fields who is nursing a sore thumb. Well, the Raiders can't really brag about their tough quarterback because Jimmy Garoppolo is out with a bad back. That means Brian Hoyer, is he still in this league, is going to be getting the start for the Raiders. So you have backup quarterbacks, sad sack offenses. The Bears defense has been playing decent. But for some reason, I can't trust their offense. And when you can't trust an offense, even though the Raiders are a West Coast team or Western team, Heading east for an early start, and I usually don't like picking those those teams. Something tells me that the Raiders are going to do just enough to pull out the win. I don't have faith in Josh McDaniels, and I'm hoping that he's going to at least coach his team better enough to get a win. Good wood pick is Las Vegas. Next on the docket, we have the three and three Commanders taking on the one and five Giants at MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey. One o'clock kickoff on CBS. The Commanders are two-point favorites. Last week, the Commanders defeated the Falcons 24-16, while the Giants lost to the Bills 14-9. Now, the fast fact here is if the Giants lose, their playoff chances will pretty much evaporate because only the 1970 Bengals made the playoffs after a 1-6 start. The Commanders played decent. They went down to the ATL and knocked off the Falcons. Now, head to Gotham to face the Giants, who played decently and honorably and went down to the last play before losing to the Bills. I don't trust the Commanders one bit. Their offense, led by Sam Howell, plays in fits and starts. And their defense just is too wishy-washy to be a consistent team. Now, the Giants are a full-fledged mess. Tyrod Taylor may get another start if Daniel Jones isn't able to go because of a bad neck. The Giants have been playing decently, capably... I'm going to regret this, but for something, something just keeps telling me that the Commanders are due for another pratfall. And what better pratfall to be than against your divisional rival? Lord help me, but I'm taking the New York Giants, that'll be the Hoodwood, upset of the week. Next on the docket, we have the 5-1 Lions taking on the 4-2 Ravens at M&T Bank Stadium in Baltimore. 1 p.m. kickoff on Fox. The Ravens are three-point favorites. Last week, the Lions defeated the Buccaneers 20-6, while the Ravens defeated the Titans 24-16. Fast fact here, the Lions have won four straight games by double digits for the first time since 1991. Now, the Lions are looking tough. Even though they won their last game against the Buccaneers, despite losing junkyard dog running back David Montgomery and Jared Goff having a so-so eh, game. But the Lions defense is highly underrated. Head to Baltimore to take on a Ravens team 
which they've been coalescing pretty well and, and are winning kind of grimy and ugly themselves. Lamar Jackson is, is at his whirling dervish best, and the offense is playing a little bit down to sorts. Justin Tucker is kidding, field goal after field goal. The Ravens' offense is decent between the 20s, but they can't punch it in. And that's a problem. But I think the Lions, without the redoubtable running of Montgomery, is going to put too much pressure on Jared Goff. And that's a problem. I think that the Ravens at home have a slight edge, and I think they can pull the game out. The pick here is Baltimore. Next on the docket, we have the 4-2 Bills taking on the 1-5 Patriots at Gillette Stadium in Foxborough, Mass. 1 p.m. kickoff on CBS. The Bills are 9.5-point favorites. Last week, the Bills defeated the Giants 14-9, while the Patriots lost to the Raiders 23-17. Fast fact here, the Patriots' 1-5 start is their worst since 1995. Now, the Bills tried mightily to give away what should have been an easy game away. They tried to give this game away with the Giants and face another hapless, hopeless team in the Patriots. The Pats used to be the bully in this matchup, but those days are long gone. The Pats, the Pats are Patriots. <laughs> Try that again. The Pats are no good, period. Mac Jones is a mess, and the freewheeling Bills defense will make his afternoon long and painful. The Bills often struggled against the Giants, but should find the sledding a lot easier against the Pats. This game is close in the fourth quarter. I am going to be really, really disappointed. Pick here is Buffalo. Let's take a timeout. Come back with the late game, Sunday and the Monday night game. Sports from the Hoodwood rolls on after this. Once again, here's the man of the hour, After Hours, your host, KJ Green. You're back in the Hoodwood, and on we go with the Week 7 
NFL picks. Let's turn to the late docket, shall we? First on the late docket is the 1-5 Cardinals taking on the 3-2 Seahawks at Lumen Field in Seattle. 4-5 kickoff on Fox. The Seahawks are 8-point favorites. Last week, the Cardinals lost to the Rams 26-9, while the Seahawks lost to the Bengals 17-13. The fast fact here is the Cards have led each of their last two games at the half and lost both of them by double digits. The Cardinals are hopeless. They keep trying and they come out fast, only to fade badly, and are headed to the Great White North to take on a Seahawks team stung by a tough loss to the Bengals on the road. The Cardinals aren't any good. Their offense is punchless. I think they're sleepwalking trying to get Caleb Williams. Seahawks are in no mood to play nice at home, and this game is going to get ugly real quick. Seahawks at home should be good for the lock, so that's why I'm making the Seahawks the Hoodwood Rock of the Week. Next on the docket, we have 3-2 Steelers taking on the 3-3 Rams at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California. 405 kickoff on Fox. Rams are three-point favorites. Last week, the Steelers were on their bye while the Rams defeated the Cardinals 26-9. Fast fact here is the Steelers have never beaten the Rams in Los Angeles in the regular season. They've gone 0-10. Their only win against the Rams in California was in Super Bowl XIV. That game was in Pasadena, not the L.A. Memorial Coliseum or now SoFi Stadium. The Steelers make a rare, rare visit to L.A. to take on the Rams and are coming off their bye, so they're well-rested. The Rams' offense is coalescing nicely as veteran Matthew Stafford has Cooper Cup throw to as well as young receiver Puka Nachua. Puka, I just like that name and their offense is coming together nicely. Now, the Steelers' defense, always led by menacing linebacker T.J. Watt, will have something to say about that offense. But something tells me that the Steelers' offense ain't any good. And with Kenny Pickett still struggling to make his offense go, I think it's going to be a tough, low-scoring game, and that the Rams should be able to keep their West Coast dominance over the Steelers intact. The pick here is Los Angeles. Next on the docket, we have the 2-3 Packers taking on the 1-5 Broncos at Empower Field at Mile High in Denver. <clears throat> Try that again. Next on the docket, we have the 2-3 Packers taking on the 1-5 Broncos at Empower Field at Mile High in Denver. 425 kickoff on CBS. The Packers are favored by a single point. Last week, the Packers were on their bye while the Broncos were uh, defeated by the Chiefs 19-8. Fast fact here is the Packers have been outscored 54-6 in the first half of their last three games. Packers come into the game like Steelers off their bye and head to a rare, rare visit to Denver to take on the, the hapless Broncos, who just seem to can't get out of their own way. Played decent against the, the Chiefs, held them to 19 points, and still lost. The Packers' offense is kind of sputtering under Jordan Love. They have they take the time getting started, but once they get started, they can put on the points. And I think that the Denver Magic is pretty much kaput. I think Green Bay can go into a road venue and steal a win. The pick here is Green Bay. Next on the docket, we have the 2-2 two two Chargers taking on the 5-1 Chiefs at GEHA Field at Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. 425 kickoff on CBS. The Chiefs are five and a half point favorites. Last week, the Chargers lost to the Cowboys 20 to 17, while the Chiefs defeated the Broncos 19 to 8. 
Fast fact is that the Chargers have netted 21 sacks in the last three games. That's their total for the season, and it's third in the league. The Chargers fought like a scout. Literally, the fans were fighting Cowboy fans at SoFi Stadium, but they came out on the short end. I don't know about the fights, but I know they came out on the short end of the scoreboard. They had Kansas City to take on the Chiefs, who played ragged against the Broncos, but still were able to get away with the win. Justin Herbert needs to find some consistency. He has not played a really consistent game over the past few weeks, and playing against the free-willing Chiefs, that's not going to be a good thing. Patrick Mahomes is way, way overdue for a breakout game, and I think he gets it here in Kansas City. The pick here are the Chiefs, Kansas City. Next on the docket, we have the Sunday night game, 5-1 Dolphins, taking on the 5-1 Eagles at Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia. 8-20 kickoff on NBC. The Eagles are 2.5-point favorites. Last week, the Dolphins defeated the Panthers 42-21, while the Eagles lost to the Jets 20-14. Fast fact here is the Dolphins' five wins have come against teams with a combined 5-24 record. The Eagle, uh, beg your pardon, the Dolphins flew high against another weak team, crushing the Panthers after spotting a 14-0 lead. They head to South Philly to take on the Eagles, who are going to be sporting their old-school Kelly Green jerseys for this Monday nighter. Will it bring back memories of Randall Cunningham, Reggie White, and the old gangrene defense? Who knows? The Eagles, stung after a dumb loss to the Jets, are going to be looking for a little bit of get-back. And even though the Dolphins are in their way, they are not going to be the team that is going to be able to pile up the points. Philadelphia's Eagles, the Eagles' defense is way too good to give up a whole bunch of points. And I think the Eagles' offense will round right back into form and score points and win the game. Pick here is Philadelphia. Finally, the game of Monday, October 23rd, the Monday Nighter, is 5-1 49ers, taking on the 2-4 Vikings at U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis, 8-15 kickoff on ABC and ESPN. The 49ers are 7-point favorites. Last week, 49ers lost to the Browns 19-17, while the Vikings defeated the Bears 19-13. Fast fact here is that the Vikings have won the last six meetings between the two teams in Minnesota, this is only the Niners' second visit to Minneapolis in the last 10 years. Now, the Vikings might be catching the Niners at a good time, hurting with the losses of dynamic running back Christian McCaffrey and wide receiver Debo Samuel. The Niners struggled on the offensive end and dropped a tight one in Cleveland. The Vikings' offense, though, is a complete mess. A couple steps of being totally impotent and incompetent with a weak running game and a passing game hamstrung literally and figuratively with absence of Justin Jefferson, the Vikes offense does not need a lot of help in being punchless. The Niners should have enough on defense to keep off the Vikings offense locked down. The Niners offense should be able to scratch out enough points to win in what wholly looks like a boring game in the making. The pick here is San Francisco. And there you have it. Thursday quick pick is going to be the Buccaneers at the Bills at Highmark Stadium in Orchard Park. 8-15 kickoff next Thursday on Amazon Prime. The uh, Bills are favored by four points. The pick here is Buffalo. Last week was 9-5 with the lock and Thursday uh, picks being correct and the upset being incorrect. Overall, I'm 55-37, and 37, five more in the locks, one in five on the upsets. Let's take our final timeout. Come back with the Hoodwood High Five, Fat Dap, 
head slap, and the final word from the wood. Sportsman Hood Woodheads down the home stretch after this. Hi everyone, I'm KJ Green. If you're looking to reach a broad audience for your advertising dollar, for the boy Advertise right here in the hood world. If you need sports creators as well, black and production right here. You can push your content, drive sales, and get the results. You send your inquiries to ads, blackbanner productions got the best in the country. It doesn't necessarily follow the AP writers poll. It's just from something from the Hoodwood Power Index. I would explain the Hoodwood Power Index to you, but it would take about three and a half hours, and algebra that I don't think you would understand. So, let's get into the Hoodwood Hot Five. Dropping out of the Hot Five, as basically warned, the loser of the Oregon-Washington game would be bounced from the Hoodwood Hot Five, and that happened to Oregon. We are now 5-1, 2-1 the Pac-12 after losing to then 5th-ranked Washington, 36-33. Their next game is this Saturday against Washington State. Also dropping out, which I usually don't knock out teams when they're on a bye, but this one, I just figured it needed to be done. Oklahoma, who is still unbeaten, 6-0, 3-0 the Big 12. They were on their bye last week. Next week, they have Central Florida at home. So that means there are not one, but two new teams in the Hoodwood Hot Five. Well, technically, there's only one, but one of them dropped out because there was a tie for fifth. Our fifth-ranked team is the Florida State Seminoles. They are 6-0, 4-0 in the ACC. Last week, they were not ranked. Like I said, they're a new entry in the Hoodwood Hot Five, and last week, they defeated Syracuse 41-3. Their next game is against Duke. At, in Tallahassee. Our fourth ranked team is the Washington Huskies who are 6-0, 3-0 in the big... Try that again. Our fourth ranked team is the Washington Huskies who are 6-0, 3-0 in the Pac-12. They were ranked uh, a tie for fifth last week and they defeated Oregon 36-33 in an absolutely thrilling game. Their next game is staying at home in Seattle as they take on the last place Arizona State Sun Devils. Our third ranked team is the Ohio State Buckeyes. They are 6-0, 3-0 in the Big Ten. They defeated Purdue 41-7. Their next game is against Penn State at Ohio Stadium this Saturday. Our number two team remains the Georgia Bulldogs, who are 7-0, 4-0 in this SEC. 
Their last game, they uh, they were last week ranked second, and they defeated Vanderbilt 37-20. to Their next uh, week, they're on a bye, and their next game is against Florida in the world's largest outdoor cocktail party or whatever they call it now, but it's the Georgia-Florida game in Jacksonville on October 28th. And our number one team remains, last week number one, this week number one, the Michigan Wolverines. They are 7-0. 4-0 in the Big Ten. Last week, they defeated Indiana 52-7 at the Big House. Their next game is this Saturday against in-state rival Michigan State. That's my Hot Five. What's yours? Now, our fat dap of the week goes to the San Francisco Giants. Now, they are looking for a manager after dismissing Gabe Kapler at the end of the 23 season. They are putting out feelers to Alyssa Nakin, who is a Giants coach, for their managerial position. Now, this is interesting. Nakin would be the first female to be the coach or manager of any professional sport that is, you know, in, that is man-based. The San Francisco Giants might get knocked. I know there's an idiot named Aubrey Huff, yeah, and I called him an idiot, that doesn't like it and thinks it's setting the game back. I think it's progressive. If the person interviewed is good enough to have the tools to be able to evaluate, to be able to manage, why can't they? Why can't they run uh, run a ball club, or a football team, or a basketball team, or a hockey team? It's the knowledge up here that translates on the field is what is what counts. Fat dap to the San Francisco Giants for at least going in a progressive direction. Now our head slap of the week goes to Kaiseri. God's Redneck. And I'm sorry if I mispronounced the name, but this former WNBA player, who is the ex-girlfriend of former Houston Rockets guard, now soon to be Oklahoma City Thunder guard, Kevin Porter Jr., now says that, quote, he didn't hit me during an alleged fight in a New York City hotel last month that led to Porter's arrest. Now, the whole, the, the, whole situation is very ugly. Abuse is serious. And Porter was arrested, then the charges were subsequently dropped. He's, they played, played not guilty to a couple other assault charges that are still pending. Now the Rockets traded Porter about as quickly as possible, and Oklahoma City told Hint Porter in no uncertain terms that they were going to waive him. That is a PR nightmare, having somebody who was allegedly abusive. But what's worse is to have somebody walk back the comments saying, oh, it didn't happen. Abuse is serious. Reporting abuse is serious. And it's something that needs to be taken serious. Ra a man raising his hand to a female is not acceptable. Anyone raising their hand to anybody in a domestic situation is never acceptable. Man, 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 woman, woman, man. It doesn't matter. Abuse is never, ever right and abuse that is alleged and found out to be false is even worse. 
Because that's gonna rep that's gonna ruin someone's reputation. And you don't play with someone's reputation. The, the head slap in the figurative sense, as I always say, head slap, because I'm not trying to be physical. Takaisri Gondrzet Redzit, who should know better. And now without much further ado, let's go to the final word from the wood. changes people. I wonder how the person who hit that billion dollar Powerball last week is going to be changed. I know if I had to hit it, I'd have moved mom into the house that she used to live in and the look of this show would probably dramatically change. And that's just for starters. I know money would change me in some way. Now this will make sense later. Stay with me. I remember the first time I saw Ja Morant, the little fearless dude from Murray State that was making Sports Center highlights on a regular basis with a litany of sick dunks and mind-bending scoring abilities that made OVC hoops a must-watch. Ja's play captured the imagination of hoop junkies, and after two years at Murray State, he was the second overall pick of the Memphis Grizzlies in the 2019 draft. His first three years in the league were impressive, to say the least, as Morant not only garnered Rookie of the Year honors and all-rookie first-team uh, honors, but was twice an all-star starter and was on the all-NBA second team twice and its NBA's most improved player in 2022. He was instantly the face of the Memphis Grizzlies, a, a team many thought that was a bit staid and boring since moving to the Mid-South in 2001. The Grizzlies have made the playoffs in each of Morant's four seasons. Now, Morant signed a five-year extension with the Grizz in 2022 and looked to be every what bit. Try it again. Morant signed a five-year extension with the Grizz in 2022 and looked to be worth every penny, but it seems like the old song, More Money, More Problems, went into effect late into that 2022-2023 season. Morant got into an altercation in January after Pacer players got into it with Ja's father, T. There were entourage issues. There were gun issues. There were more gun issues. Some of Morant's associates were banned from the FedEx Forum in, in Memphis for the altercations. And it did get worse, if it was all possible. Morant was seen in an Instagram Live post displaying a gun at a Denver nightclub in March. And for the extremely con image-conscious NBA, this was a big no-no. The Grizz announced that Ja would be away from the team for two games. And then he, it was announced that he was getting some sort of stress rehab. Then he met with NBA Commissioner Adam Silver, and it was announced that Morant would be serving an eight-game suspension. He had already missed another four games in between time, so he would only be out two more games. You would think that Morant would have learned his lesson, but he was instead suspended again in May for flashing a gun during another Instagram live stream. He was subsequently suspended 25 games at the start of this, the 2023-2024 season. Morant looks like that the money changed him. That he went from a humble, quiet player, bent on improving his craft, to a wannabe gangster who's more concerned about popping bottles, hanging with his crew, and than playing ball. He has the money. He has the subsequent hangers-on. He has all the trappings of that hood mentality life of someone that has fallen into money. Money changed job, but his antics might cost him more money down the road. 
as he won't be able to garner a super max extension because he won't meet the criteria to make any of the All-NBA teams. Remember, the new collective bargaining agreement has stipulations that the award must be given to players who have played at least 65 games. And even if Morant came off suspension and played every game he was eligible to play in from his end of his suspension on, he would only be able to make 57 games, well short of the requirements. So Josh, thug life, has cost him lots of money. Now, as he stands to lose $7.7 million in lost salary because of suspension, and going forward, because he won't be able to sign up the big money Supermax that he would be due had he made the NBA All-NBA team, which he was a pretty good shot at doing. It's the money. Stupid. That's what changed job and brought the extra hangers on, who at present claim to be his friends, but are more concerned about kicking it at the club, flashing the guns, looking good in, in, in social media, and popping bottles and getting their grooves on with the hoochies. Now, I'm oversimplifying it, of course, but the fact of the matter remains that John Morant is pissing away a lot of money and a good deal of his talent to keep him and his friends rolling in the deep. It's a real shame because he won't realize what he has lost and how fleeting his friends will be until the money dries up. There are so many cautionary tales about players living that fast life and watching the money disappear and the so-called friends with it. Money changes people and you hope and pray that somewhere, someone will clue Ja in before he becomes just another cautionary tale. And that is the final word from the wood. Now, with the music coming up in the background, you know that means that your time here in the Hoodwood is just about done, and I thank you so much again for your visit. Now, the show's email is kjgreen at sportsfromthehoodwood.com. Please send emails regarding show topics, both past and future, questions, comments, and both praise and criticism on the show. I welcome your comments and correspondence, and we'll try to reply to you in a timely manner. Now, the show's website is sportsfromthehoodwood.com. As a back catalog of shows in both audio and video form dating back 11 years. You can check that out if there are any shows that you may have missed. You can join the debate and conversation on the Sports from the Hood with Facebook page. As video podcast simulcast of previous shows as well as topics, funny stuff I find on the web, plenty of great sports debate, and lots more. I do post often and respond to member posts frequently. The video versions are also on YouTube. Please hit that subscribe and smash that like button for more great content. The link to the podcast is also on the show's tribal feed, which is at Hoodwood Sports. You can find a lot of interesting stuff there as well, and I do respond to posts and comments. So you can like and follow there as well. The audio version is on Spotify, Amazon Music, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and iTunes from Apple, as well as a number of other fine podcast platforms and providers. If the Hoodwood is not on your favorite podcast platform or provider, ask for it. Drop me a line and I will do what I can to get it on there as quickly as possible. Special thanks as always to Rage Pictures for its continuing production assistance and website development. So, that's it from the Hoodwood, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Until next time, fellow sports fans, I'm KJ Green, 30. Sports from the Hoodwood is a Black Bandit Productions and Enterprises presentation of a 551 Audio and Films production.